This is an ABC podcast. On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker, and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Each week, right across this country, there's an activity that around about 3.9 million Aussies share in, and that's riding a bike. My name's Nick Healy. I'm filling in for Rochelle this week, and I'm one of those 3.88 million people. I, I ride for transport and I ride for exercise and I ride for fun as well. And while it sounds like a lot of people, it's actually only around about 15% of the population. And those numbers are down from a peak we saw during the pandemic years. This morning, we're going to look at what needs to change to get more people safely on bikes in 2024. And while we will definitely talk infrastructure... I'm keen to look at some of the quicker ways to make riding more accessible. Are you already a regular or semi-regular bike rider? How do you rate the experience, whether that's in the city or in a regional area? And what do you think would get more people on a pushy? And if you're not riding at the moment, what changes would have to happen to have you considering it? What would make it viable and fun for you? ABC Listen app, your smart speaker, and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Getting more people on bikes is essentially the mission statement of We Ride Australia, an independent bike riding advocacy group that's pushing to make, right across the country, Australia a better place to ride. Now, Peter Burke is We Ride's executive officer. He's also the GM of Bicycle Industries Australia. Peter, good morning to you. Good morning, Nick. Thank you for having me on this morning. Look, I said just before that we saw the number of people cycling in about 2021 peak, and there's been a decline since then. I I should just say that I'm getting my numbers from last year's National Walking and Cycling Participation Survey for anyone who's worried about where these figures are coming from. Does that decline worry you? Uh, Of course, we would always love to see more people riding bikes. We saw that uh, definitely during COVID, uh, a lot more Australians discovered the joy of riding a bike. For many, it was riding a bike again. And they discovered it because they felt, as you've alluded to, safer. They they felt more relaxed. There was less cars on the road. And they just uh, discovered that bike riding was was still, not again, was still a great way to get around your community, connect to your local community, and uh, actually have a fun and enjoyable way of getting to where you needed to go. Of course, we know with the numbers of bike, with the numbers of car drivers increasing again after COVID, and also people not spending quite as much time in their local community, that number, as you've said, has, has certainly dropped off. Peter, we're talking safety and we will look at infrastructure a little bit further down the road, but when you do we ride, when you look at kind of, I guess, encouraging other people to get back on the bike, what works for you? There's lots of, it's, it's, there's a lot of different examples from around Australia and the world. We certainly know that we're running programs in Queensland, which is about uh, helping children ride to school. And it's, giving parents confidence that a child has arrived. So we've developed a system where there's an automated notification at schools and the parents receive a notice to say, little Johnny has arrived at school. Parents have allowed, we've seen an increase in riding to school by 35% in those schools. Wow. So it's about that confidence that it's, uh, that doesn't actually change the infrastructure, but it's just the confidence that the child has arrived. So there's a lot of things we can do along the way. 
obviously infrastructure is one, identifying black spots. Um, Amy Gillett Foundation has got a great bike spot program where they identify single uh, points of a ride that are stopping people from, ride, from uh, continuing their trip. But it is about giving people confidence that they can ride safely. Now that might be lessons for children, might be lessons for adults, or as you said, the infrastructure is certainly a big thing. I'm glad you mentioned the lessons for adults because I do think there's probably a, a fairly large proportion of people out there who are just not confident on adult as adults on a bike but don't know where to turn to get that confidence. You're right. There's a lot of... And it's not even just confidence to get on a bike. It's to get confidence to ride in traffic or ride on roads or find the right route to get where you want to go. Because one of the big things as well is that when we get in the car and we think about riding a bike, quite often we think, well, I can't ride on this road, it's way too busy. But there's so many alternative routes that people haven't, if they haven't actually looked into it, they don't know there's a quieter route or a, a shared path that they'll be able to get there. Now, in terms of where learning to ride is, there's, there is a lot of programs across Australia and that, that's a challenge for us because they're not always coordinated. But we do have bodies in Victoria, the Bicycle Network do a brilliant job, Oz Cycling do several jobs, but then we do have a lot of local programs, councils do a number of programs for riding uh, or fund local providers. So it is a challenge though to find that local, uh, local um, provider. So probably talking to the local council or Bicycle Network would be the best place to start in, uh, in, across Victoria. And Peter, I've had a text in, uh, a texter saying, I actually got my license suspended for three months. I know that is nothing to brag about, but it was a blessing in disguise. I bought an e-bike. It's changed my life. It's faster. It's better. I enjoy my daily commute to work. Is there a sense from a wee ride perspective that there can be a bit of a, a try it and you'll love it attitude when people do give biking a go? Without a doubt. We've found uh, the big thing about bike riding is fun. And that's what people, and enjoyable, people find their commute is now a more relaxed environment, usually. usually. Um, the other thing we find is they also understand how long their commute's going to take. Because generally it's a, a trip reliability. In a car, I know once in peak hour it might take you half an hour, it might take you an hour to get there. In a bike, you know it'll take you the, the same amount of time every day. And it's generally more enjoyable. I've certainly enjoyed my time riding bikes over the years to and from work and people talk about the weather, but in reality, you dress appropriately and you actually have a far more enjoyable um, trip to and from work. Peter, I know that there was an issue in terms of getting enough bikes into the country when we did see that peak during the pandemic. It was obviously hard. We knew some of the supply lines were difficult to do. Bike prices kind of increased um, quite significantly for a little while there. Has that normalised? Uh, we've got to a point uh, where we have certainly normalised and there's plenty of bikes in the country. But just a couple of things, a couple of numbers that did come out of it. Mm. And you mentioned e-bikes before. We know that, you know, five years ago we were selling 9,000 e-bikes. Last year we sold 200,000 e-bikes. And the reason wow. we had that slow... Sorry, Nick. The reason we had that slowdown in growth, though, is because we couldn't get the bikes during um, COVID. Now we're getting those bikes arriving and e-bikes have absolutely blossomed as the choice of the, the bike of choice for many people. And they are fantastic in that regard because if you're riding to and from work, it's, again, gives you a nice, consistent uh, time. 
you arrive and you don't have that sweatiness feeling. You actually don't, you know, hills disappear because the assistance gets you up the hill. And people have discovered that it is just a great way to get around our cities and towns. Are costs stabilising on e-bikes? They were a bit prohibitive there in the early days. Costs are certainly... Uh, uh, E-bikes are certainly um, uh, an investment. There's no doubt about that. And they're a little bit more expensive than your your non-e-bikes. But when we consider quite often people are now replacing the second car with an e-bike, it's a very cheap way of getting around the city. And we've also identified that in Tasmania, as an example, they've realised that it is such a good thing for their economy to have more people on e-bikes. They've released a $1.2 million incentive package Mm. to get more people onto light electric mobility, such as e-bikes. Because, I mean, I'll ju- just to jump into that, um, jump into that, bike riding last year saved the Australian health economy close to a billion dollars. Um, so Tasmania has said, well, we want more people on bikes. We know bike riders, commute, commuting bike riders, saved almost 500,000 tonnes of CO2 from being released into the atmosphere. So Tasmania has said for the environment, for the economy, we're going to get more people riding bikes. That's quite an investment from a state, and obviously you'd want to see that replicated a bit further around the country. Without a doubt. Uh, and we, we think this is Tasmania is certainly showing the rest of Australia how to do it. We know, if we look at examples around the, the world, America, I think uh, there's 39 states that have e-bike incentives. Uh, Europe has e-bike incentives. Australia has certainly been slow in the uptake about investing and pushing these sort of things to get more people riding bikes. I mean, uh, 50% of all trips in Melbourne are less than 5Ks. So if we get more people using e-bikes or bikes in general, A, it saves the country money, or it saves people money, and we know cost of living is an issue, so that's a fantastic outcome. But also, it's generally quicker. For 5Ks around Melbourne, you generally get there from door to door quicker by bike. So we actually want the government to do it. We're certainly pushing for the government to do it. And we also think that it's just better for every household because cost of living, trip time, just having fun while you're actually getting somewhere, we think it's a, well, a no-brainer, to use a different uh, a different phrase. <laughs> Peter, I'll let you go in a second, but a couple of things. I'm being chibbed on the text line a little bit saying it's cycling, not biking. Have you got a preferred term? Am I going to get myself in trouble? <laughs> Uh, we we certainly use bike riding and bike riders. Um, so uh, I mean, cyclists, cycling. We know we're talking about people. Anybody who rides a bike is a bike rider, is a cyclist. Certainly, sometimes if you use the word cyclist, it conjures up an image of a a male in lycra on a road bike. <laughs> and, and we want to make sure everyone. When we're talking about this, we are talking about uh, whether it's uh, mum, child, grandma, grandpa, anybody who rides a bike. They are bike riders, they are cyclists. We're all just all just trying to get where we want to go, and that's what we're doing. We're bike riders. And look, I know in Victoria a lot of effort's been put into making sure that cycling tourism is a big element of areas. I live in an area with a rail trail myself. I love getting out on there. Does that necessarily, or do we even have the, the numbers, that that translates into people then more regularly using a bike for transport, or does it stay a more weekend fun thing if that's what people get into? Um, before I answer that question, I'll just add, again, a dollar figure, $1.9 billion is what the cycle tourism contributed to the Australian economy last year. Wow. So 
it's a big number. Uh, it, it, it contributes to the the bottom line of our budgets. So that's a big thing. Um, a lot of people that ride bikes on the weekend and do cycle tourism, they do ride during the week. We haven't quite got yet uh, achieved uh, a transition of all the, uh, you know, everyone who's riding for tra for tourism moving to the commuting side of things. We certainly, we, we know that it's about 1 to 1.5% of all commuting trips are by bike. Um, so we've got, we've certainly got room for expansion and we'd love to see more people who use it for fun and recreation on the weekend riding to work or riding to school more than they um, than we do now. Peter Burke, really appreciate your time this morning. Peter Burke is the Executive Officer of We Ride Australia, also the GM of Bicycle Industries Australia. A couple of people on the text line saying, I live in Footscray, I learned to ride a bike in rural Victoria. It feels so dangerous for me to ride to work at the moment, despite the fact I just work in North Melbourne. Um, I don't, you know, you're not going to get too far into infrastructure, but that really is the root cause of the issue. It is dangerous for riders. Then April saying, look, out of necessity, going from a two-car family to one car, my main mode of transport has become a push bike. In good weather, I love it. But I have to say, there's a lot of anxiety related to getting anywhere in rain or strong wind as well. I'd love to hear from you. Are you a bike rider who does it regular or semi-regular? How are you rating the experience at the moment? If you're not riding, what would get you on a push bike? On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker, and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. My name is Nick Healy. I'm filling in for Rochelle. And this morning, we're talking about bike riding. How do we make 2024 the year of getting people on a pushy right around Victoria, right around the country, in fact. And look, any conversation around getting people riding more needs to touch on infrastructure. They can be very long-term projects. There are also things that can be done now that can make a real impact. Dr. Lauren Person is a research fellow with the team of sustainable mobility and safety research at Monash Uni. And Lauren, good morning to you. Good morning, Nick. How are you going? I'm good. I'm interested to know, because uh, I've seen the numbers, and I know when we break it down, the people who ride regularly, not overwhelmingly, but very strongly so, are men. What what can we draw from that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So uh, your whole conversation is really thinking about how we're increasing that number of people who are riding a bike, and you've touched on exactly the point. So uh, we really need to think about who are those people that aren't riding? What are those trips that aren't being taken? And we know that there's this huge gender inequity. So for every two men that are riding a bike, we know that there's only one woman. And not only that, but we also see some pretty drastic drops in participation in specific age groups as well, and particularly teenagers. What is causing that drop? Why, do, why is there a barrier for women making um, riding a bike a regular activity? Yeah, so we really wanted to understand, um, is it that people aren't riding in these groups because they don't want to, or are there other things that are preventing them? So we conducted a very large program of research where we surveyed over 4,700 Victorians. We conducted numerous interviews so we could understand how many people were interested, what was stopping them, and we found this huge proportion, this overwhelming majority 78% of people were interested in riding a bike. This is something that they wanted to be doing for their everyday trips, but they had these very uh, real and valid concerns preventing them from doing so. 
Um, unsurprisingly, and you touched on this before, regardless of gender, that number one barrier uh, was about having to ride on the road mm. alongside motor vehicle traffic. So that's your concerns about motorist aggression, concerns about injury from falling off their bike. Um, what was interesting that was, even though that was the number one barrier, we also saw some population groups who were exclusively reporting some quite defined barriers. So, for example, in young women in particular, so around that 18 to 29-year-old age group, um, they report these concerns about not having adequate knowledge or resources about things like bike purchase, maintenance, through to um, where to actually ride. So thinking about that journey planning aspect and how to integrate that into their lives. And that's really exciting because that's something that's potentially modifiable and not quite as difficult as infrastructure to achieve. Where do we begin to change that though? Because we're going to talk a little bit later this morning about you know, even for me, as someone who's been riding a bike fairly regularly for about six years, I've got no idea about bike maintenance. So I wouldn't even know where to begin getting that skill set. Yeah, absolutely. So what we've seen in the past is that often we have some incredibly motivated and um, really great people in councils, in non-government organisations that deliver these kinds of programs. But What's been lacking is that often those programs are developed by people who are already quite confident bike riders, so they're not really aware of the kind of things that um, your regular everyday person who isn't riding a bike at the moment actually wants or needs. Uh, what's actually really important to be able to develop those programs is use something called co-design. So that's where you find these defined groups. So, for example, uh, with what I spoke about before with young women, we bring young women onto the team who are designing these kinds of programs. So if we're saying, okay, we're going to start a maintenance class, what is it about that needs to be included in that maintenance program? Who needs to be delivering that class? Where do we advertise it and how do we advertise it to actually get the best bang for our buck? That's what we really need to do. Lauren, I should just say we have managed to get your colleague Ben Beck on the line, who's the head of sustainable mobility and safety research at Monash Uni. Ben, good morning. Good morning, Nick. We heard a little bit earlier from uh, the head of We Ride Australia about some of the incentives regarding bike ownership, especially around e-bikes that's been happening in Tasmania. A few people texting in saying that sounds incredible, that might be a tipping point for me. Have we seen that incentivising that does actually have an impact? Yeah, I, I think we, we certainly have. I think the reality is that the decision-making around whether someone will take a trip by bike or by car, for example, is, is really complex. Um, it might depend on, on the weather, whether you feel safe riding the, the route that you would need to take, whether you need to carry children on the bike or whether you feel safe locking up your bike at your destination. And, and these are probably just a few examples. And one of the positives of this complexity is that we have multiple opportunities to be able to intervene within this system, including through incentives. Um, so that can be incentive programs. Obviously, infrastructure is really important, um, enhancing end-of-trip facilities, etc. Um, but the challenge really is, particularly when we've got a resource-constrained environment, how we prioritise investment in this system and what combinations of interventions do we need to help people to start riding. And we've got some really good international examples, including examples of um, uh, financial incentives for e-bikes. But 
At the moment, we really lack Australian-specific evidence. And what that means is that we lack an ability to be able to be responsive to opportunity and, and to prioritise investment to the most effective interventions. But, but that's really what our research group is working on. And I think from our perspective, there's probably three key ingredients um, to getting more people riding. Mm. First and, and clearly is about infrastructure. We need a connected network of, of safe, high-quality and inclusive infrastructure. Secondly is non-infrastructural intervention. So this is financial incentives, but also behaviour change programs and things like that. And then thirdly, we need to shift our focus from having a transport system that moves cars to a transport system that prioritises moving people. And this may include um, introducing measures to reduce car use, such as congestion charging and reducing car parking. But to reiterate um, the point that Peter made earlier, certainly financial incentives for e-bikes um, are a, a fantastic initiative. It's great to see Tasmania taking um, the lead on this um, initiative, and it's, it's really a huge potential in Australia um, to be able to transform the way we move around our cities. Ben, just quickly, behaviour change. On what side are we getting? I'm only noting Deb's texted in saying, I need convincing to get on board with cycling. Every day on the shared local path where people are walking dogs, elderly are walking with the help of walking frames and children are toddling along, there's never not a time when a cyclist doesn't whiz by getting angry at people in their way. I worry that they're selfish and entitled. Am I missing something? Is that what you meant by behaviour change or are we looking at more in terms of driver behaviour? change? I think there's a whole array of different opportunities to be able to support better decision making across the the system. So um, certainly our infrastructure continues to to leave a a lot to be desired and that's reflected then in that comment around the cramped space. We've given so much space of our roads and our environments over to cars and Mm. what that's meant is we've got these really, really narrow shared paths that that don't provide adequate space for people walking and they don't provide adequate space for people riding. But in the context of behaviour change, we've got really great opportunities, as Lauren's already touched on, to be able to educate and empower people to understand their opportunities. And um, uh, we've spoken and heard earlier around the role of even wayfinding, being able to provide people with information around how they can safely and comfortably get between an origin and a destination. It's about empowering them about how to ride, about how to maintain their bike, Um, And it's also obviously then as well about um, educating the population that a bike is simply a mode of transport. We're just choosing. These are not cyclists. These are people. And people Mm. might choose to take one trip by bike, another trip by train and another trip by car. It is simply a mode of transport. And we just need to be able to provide people with information and people with environments that they can do this easily and safely. Lauren, you mentioned co-design before. Would, would infrastructure look different if there was a more a greater emphasis on co-design and and bringing women into that? You're absolutely right, Nick. Um, so we understand in terms of the kind of infrastructure needs that women have is that they really do want a protected network. Um, but it also is really important for it needs to be connected. So we can't be just having one stretch of protect protected path and then they're stuck out on the road again alongside high-speed uh, you know, high motor vehicle traffic. The problem with that, though, is that we realistically can't really put um, 
a protected bike lane on every single street across the city. Mm. It's not really feasible. So it's thinking about, okay, how do we connect that? Um, one of the opportunities within that that resonates uh, well from some of the evidence that we have with women is 30 kilometre an hour zone. So that's where we have areas of um, a lot of foot traffic, bikes and motor vehicles, but you've got such a slow speed that you've got a much uh, like decreased chance of an injury if you are hit by a motor vehicle, but it's such a less stressful experience if you're riding as well. And so do we think that that could be more broadly taken in, that reduction of speed limits? Yeah, and we've seen some really great examples that have happened across Victoria already. So we've seen in the city of Yarra, they're just about to start their stage two of their 30k an hour trials. And we've also seen it in some great regional contexts. So they've just launched it in uh, Mildura towards the end of last year, and that's had some great success. So really slowing down those speeds, um, it doesn't actually uh, increase our journey times for if you are by a car because you are spending so much time stopping at traffic lights, but it also means that less people are on the road in motor vehicles because they're using active transport, so you've got less cars on the road. So we've seen some great examples. Uh, The difficulty now is really how it is that we can roll that across not only the state but the country uh, within the data environments that we're working with. Ben and Lauren, thank you both so much for your time this morning. I know how busy you are. Ben Beck's the Head of Sustainable Mobility and Safety Research at Monash University. Dr Lauren Pearson, a research fellow with that group. Tony on the text line saying, I'd ride more if I didn't have to wear a helmet all the time. I'd ride to the lunch shop and just take a short trip or I'd go along the beach if I didn't have to put a helmet on every single time. If I was to ride a long road or a big distance, I'm definitely happy to wear a helmet. Just look at Amsterdam, for example. They all potter around okay with absolutely no helmets. Give me a call. I'd love to know, are you a regular or a semi-regular rider. How do you rate the experience at the moment? What's it like? Whether you're in a capital city or regional area, how is the feeling of riding? What would get more people on a road from your perspective on a push bike? And if you're not riding, what are the changes you want to see that would have you considering it? On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. My name is Nick Healy. I'm filling in for Rochelle this week, and we are chatting about riding a bike. How do we make 2024 the year that more and more people get on a pushy? What needs to change to make it viable? Tom in Footscray is saying, I used to ride a bike in Melton, but the lack of separated bike lanes has made me stop. I feel like there's some really aggressive driving culture out there and too many large trucks. Keep those texts coming in, 0437-774-7. Paul Vanderplug He's better known to all and sundry as Vandy. He's not just a pro cyclist. He's also passionate about showing people the joy of riding. It's the focus of an SBS show, Trail Towns, along with his co-host, Deets. Vandy, good morning to you, Matt. How are you? Good morning, Nick. Thanks for having me on. One thing that maybe gets lost in the press of um, roads, of infrastructure, of speeds, of incentives, it can get lost in all of those equations. It's fun to ride a bike, or at least it's meant to be, right? Absolutely. It's definitely why I ride a bike, and uh, I've been doing it since I was a little boy and doing it professionally for many years, and now I just purely do it for fun. You do it for fun, and you get out to some of those areas where rail, rail, um, rail trail tourism and cycling tourism has made a real impact to a lot of towns. Absolutely. Trail Towns was kind of born out of Dietz and I sort of going, we need to show people how many amazing places there are around Australia and New Zealand to go bike riding. 
And I guess through just an evolution of the show, rail trails have been a big feature. So we've got a bunch here in Victoria, like the Great Victorian Rail mm. Trail that goes from Tallarook all the way to Mansfield in sort of central Victoria. And then there's the O'Keefe Rail Trail out in Bendigo where you can ride out of Bendigo into Harcourt, which is obviously a pretty nice wine region. And I guess the beauty of the rail trails is they link up towns because that's the whole purpose of what the rail lines used to be. Um, I grew up in Mount Beauty at the base of Falls ah. Creek. So I uh, grew up in the mountains, but I also grew up riding rail trails with my family. I'm the baby of five boys and <laughs> mum and dad. So we'd load up our van and trailer and we'd go and ride uh, around Bright and out to Beechworth, Yakandanda. There's a beautiful rail trail, the uh, Murray to Mountains rail trail that one is. I did the Talarook to Yay about two weeks ago now. I'm still peeling off the back of my hands because I, I forgot that you meant to actually put sunscreen on the back <laughs> of your hands when you're riding as well. Um, it is a really well-appointed rail trail. You've got the artwork along the sides there. What do we get? What do we do to make sure people kind of get that joy and don't just stop there? That once they've actually had a little taste of it, they want to keep riding. What do you think could get people riding more regularly this year? Well, obviously, watch Trail Towns. <laughs> That's a good motivator. Um, it's funny. Yeah, the Great Vic, uh, Victorian Rail Trail, we featured on Season 1, but the art is actually new. So that's a new feature. Mm. So I'm interested to hear how you found it because it's a new thing to look at, to stop and experience. Look, I, I enjoyed it, but I'm fully going to admit I, I'm not riding like, say, a family of four might having that nice little ride and that stop. I was not exactly setting a pace. I'm a 50-year-old man, but... You know, I was trying to actually do a decent speed to get there. And so I kind of like sort of buzzed past it going, oh, that looks good. <laughs> Just kept riding. But I enjoyed the fact that it was there. It makes that rail trail for someone like me who wants to just get out and kind of push themselves a little bit, it's a viable ride. For someone who just wants to maybe get on for an hour or take an e-bike and just explore a bit, it gives something to do there as well. It seems like a, a really novel way of doing it. Absolutely. And I think with rail trails, uh, the way that they're designed, they're not allowed to be steep. They're not allowed to mm. go above like a 5% gradient because of the metal on metal of the rail wheels and the rail line. So you can never really encounter like a steep climb that you might on a regular road. So that's why they're, they're that beautiful gradient and you're meandering through the countryside and just experiencing things at the right pace. I think getting out and cycling is kind of the Goldilocks speed to experience something. Because walking I find a bit too slow on a car or a bus, a bit too fast. But yeah. the bike just right. Vandy, hold <laughs> hold there for a second because a couple of people have called in. I've got Maro uh, from Mansfield. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. What, what would get you riding more regularly? Well, I, I do ride regularly. Um, <laughs> been part of the um, the Mansfield Cycling Club for a, for a good many years. Fantastic. Um, but here in Mansfield, we have I guess we've got Mount Buller, which is an iconic mountain in the road riding world, and, and Tourism Victoria and Northeast Tourism actively promote riding the roads here, but we don't have shoulders on the roads, and mm. they become very narrow. Um, so in a, in a road riding sense, I guess, we're desperate for shoulders on the roads. We've, Mansfield's, the demographic of Mansfield has become a, uh, it's a, it's a very tourist, orientated population there now um, and we've got roads that are, they're, they're very narrow and, and we see um, trucks uh, wakeboard boats are, are probably even wider than what the trucks are 
and that it then becomes impossible to ride the roads. So that is a, a deterrent for for a lot of road riders. We, we've also got a lot of dirt roads around here. I, I, the popularity of, of um, uh, gravel cycling has taken off because people are scared to get on the roads now. Yeah, and look, I, we, we've heard from a lot of people that they're quite nervous about that. And Mara, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Mount Buller because I think they've done an incredible job trying to get their green season to be a little more focused on cycling as well. I think it's been really, really clever. Tony in Elstonwick. Tony, you'd like to see cyclists, I guess, um, paying their fair share. Is, is that an accurate way of doing it? I think there should be a registration for cyclists on the road. We put in all these bike paths in concrete blocks, and there's no registration. I think they need to pay something. I think it's it's equitable on the both both the motorists and the uh, and those people who use it. I mean, would you say a certain dollar amount? Is this something you've got in mind, or do you just want to make yeah, sure look, that people say a hundred dollars or something like that a year as a registration for a year? Mm. That's right. Vandy, the thing about cycling is it's always been one of those, uh, if you were using it for transportation, the idea is it's meant to have that low-cost barrier. It's meant to be accessible to, to a wider range of population. It's not the first time I've heard someone should suggest there needs to be a registration, whether that's paid or not, um, to make sure that people are, I guess, accountable when they're using the roads, even as a cyclist. You speak to cyclists all around. What's, what's your take on that? Yes, um, I've got uh, yelled at by motorists all yeah. the time to pay my rego, and it's almost <laughs> a running joke. Um, I definitely pay rego on my car, um, and I feel like the registration for the car is quite expensive these days, so I would uh, not really love to pay mm. more registration fees for riding my bike, which is reducing the impact on the economy because we're actually doing a healthy, active transport. And uh, I think it's it's just too hard to police that sort of thing. It's going to be um, upsetting a lot of people. And as you say, it's, it's a low-cost sport and it's a low threshold to go and go riding like a few hundred dollars and you've got a bike or you can get a recycled second-hand bike from somewhere and you can actively get around the city and uh, it's quite cheap. So as soon as you start adding in registration fees, it gets um, a bit complicated. Do you ride for transport as well as for fun? All the time, yeah. I right. rode here. I um, don't really use my car when I'm um, in Melbourne mm. and I really love using the bike path network around Melbourne. So there's a heap of really good bike paths that link up the river systems. So you've got all the creeks like Darabin Creek or Mary Creek or Mooney Ponds Creek that are completely separate to the main roads and they also um, are just so safe and beautiful, especially like the main Yarra Trail that takes you out in the eastern suburbs like you're immersed in nature and it's uh, a really good escape from the hustle and bustle of the city. That is very nice, the way you're describing it. John from Moyu. John, you want to see a bike trail around your area? Uh, yes, we do. When, uh, there's a bike trail out to the Oxley turn-off, but then from Oxley up to Whitfield, there's nothing, and many many people won't ride on that section because it's too narrow and the, the drop-off on the sides of the road is is um, uh, too, too much. Um, and... Out of Wangaratta, there there aren't too many bike trails apart from the rail trail going up to uh, Myrtleford um, and maybe to Yakandanda, but uh, going out to Yeroa, um, sorry, um, Glen Rowan, mm. you have to ride on the roads. And it's, it's not that unsafe, but it would be better if there was some rail trails or bike trails out there, certainly oh. bike trails up to 
up to Whitfield would be great. I couldn't agree more. That's the Prosecco Road. So that's where uh, Otto Del Zotto is at the end there. And I'd love to get there from Millowa because there is a bike path from Wangaratta to Millowa um, all the way to Whitfield. And that would just be absolutely stunning and such a good tourist attraction, stopping at all the wineries, all the sort of Italian families that have really brought this Prosecco variety. And it's such a popular type of wine these days. And if you could do it by uh, riding by on a, on a yeah. bike trail, uh, it would be magic. John, you're a regular rider? Yes, um, not so much now, but uh, twice a week. Um, uh, I go out with a couple of other friends up to Myrie, which is... Um, a quieter road on the what's called the Boggy Creek Road and um, out to Glen Rowan on the Glen Rowan uh, Moorew Road, which is a, um, a little busier. And I wouldn't expect a, a trail on those roads, mm. but it would, it would be good if uh, they could uh, widen the road in, in a lot of places and make it safer for people. Uh, I know a lot of my bike riding friends wouldn't ride out to Moorew from um, from Oxley to to Moyo or to Whitfield simply because it's too dangerous. Yeah, John, and I do understand that. Um, having done a lot of road riding myself, I, I try and get out sort of Ngambi Way and a few places like that, and you are just straight on the road. There's not a lot of trail, and um, it, it, most of the time it's great, but you've got to be aware that there are a lot of people who are maybe not as happy sharing a road with the cyclists as you'd like them to be. Tony texted in earlier saying he would ride more if he didn't have to wear a helmet every single time. Lindsay in East Hawthorne, you have seen just how life-saving a helmet can be up front. Uh, absolutely. I was riding down Swanson Street uh, and was doored by a truck, landed on my head, um, was unconscious for quite a while, uh, five broken ribs, um, punctured lung, but more importantly, uh, my bike helmet was split in two, just like a watermelon. Had I not had a bike helmet on, I'd either have a really severe head injury mm. um, or, or a brain injury, I'd be dead. So I, I understand in Amsterdam and uh, Copenhagen, I've, I've been to lovely places to, bike, to ride a bike, fantastic. But helmets really do help. Yeah, they do. And um, Lindsay, how, how hard was it for you to get back on the bike after an accident like that? Very hard. I ride less now. I'm yeah. admittedly a bit older. This is about uh, oh, eight years ago, um, and I'm sort of someone in my 70s now. But, uh, yeah, look, it's, it, it puts a wind up here because it's coming from nowhere. You can see, it, as a cyclist, you look at cars and you can see someone in the car just about to get out. You, you get some uh, warning with, yeah. a, with a truck, you know. Yeah. Um, and I was literally going probably 10 k's an hour down Swanson Street. Oh, yeah, it's um, it's one of those things. Helmets are such a important thing, and I'm a massive helmet advocate. That's for sure. Yeah, Lindsay, I'm really glad that you you did come out of that. Okay, I've been hit by a car riding to work. Um, I, I was lucky that I wasn't sort of too physically da damaged, but my helmet took a beating. Like you see it afterwards, and you think that would have been my head had I not been wearing that. Oh, absolutely. Even in between Christmas and New Year's, I was out in uh, the upper Yarra Valley near Warburton and we were doing a, a gravel exploring ride 
and a good friend on the ride, he just was looking down and, and hit a pothole and he ejected at 50 kilometres an hour, uh, broke his collarbone and wow. fractured a few ribs, but his helmet was destroyed because he unfortunately landed on his head, but no head injury. And if he didn't have a helmet, God, I don't even know what would happen. Tony from Castlemaine on the line. Tony, is it easy to ride where you are? Yeah, well, um, yeah, we ride. Uh, I've ridden, you know, just clocked over five thousand dollars, five thousand k's on my um, gravel bike, oh. and um, frequent commuter in and out from a little village of Guildford, um, ten kilometres from Castlemaine. Oh, nice. There's, there's actually a uh, an old railway um, that goes all the way from Castlemaine through to Maryborough, but um, there's a tourist railway, and they've just ripped up all the. Um, old rails and sleepers and what have you. And um, I used to ride in to Castlemaine along the along the rail trail. It took a long time on a mountain bike. But now they've um, put up all these bridges and things over culverts and little dips and what have you, and you can't ride along there at all. So, so that, that's making the whole process a lot more difficult for you? Well, it's put you back on the highway, you know, or um, trying to find other ways around it. But Everyone that lives in the village here and people that commute in and out, go, wouldn't it be wonderful if it just got made into a real rail trail? And um, there was, you know, layers of bureaucracy and goodness knows what. You know, people are on to it. But, yeah, it's, um, it's a fantastic setup, and a lot of the work's been done, like the gravel, you know, the, mm. um, yeah, all the sleepers and what have you. It's, um, yeah, anyway, I, I just thought I'd... No, I'm glad you did, Tony, because it's always interesting to get those insights and what changes do need to be made. Uh, Very quickly, Teresa on the text line saying, I'm listening to all these conversations around bike riding. Definitely no registration for cyclists. We're trying to encourage people to get out of cars, especially those big SUVs. They're rarely appropriate in towns. Please keep this conversation going. What would make you get on a bike more, whether you're a regular rider or what's been the barrier? If you're not riding, what's kept you from jumping on a pushy on the abc listen app your smart speaker and on am radio this is the conversation hour on abc radio melbourne and victoria my name is nick healy you've got me this week filling in for rochelle we're talking about bike riding we're talking about how to make 2024 the year that more and more people get on the bicycle and if you want to start riding if you've decided to get a bike whether that is for weekend fun whether it's day-to-day transport do you actually know what you need would you be confident going into a shop and coming out with the right product. Now, Peter Menetti is a senior journalist with um, Bicycling Australia. Peter, knowledge barriers seem really big on here. I was joking before that I've been riding semi-regularly for a good six years now, and I still wouldn't know that I'm getting the right bike for me. I'm trusting the people in the shop. Yeah, thanks Thanks for having me, Nick. That's a, a really common uh, issue, I think, across the community. Um Often people, when they think about cycling and riding, it's seen as this one big homogenous group. But in fact, there's so many different types of riding. And mm. um, to your point this morning, you know, if we want to get more people riding, what are the barriers? I, I think having the right bike is a pretty important place to start because um, you want to be comfortable, you want to be safe. And, and, and if you feel comfortable and you feel safe in the bike that you're riding, I think that's, that's a really important starting point. Because if you don't, you know, if you go for a ride and suddenly you've got sore arms or sore back or sore knee, it's going to be less likely you're going to get back on it quickly. And likewise, if you get out onto a, a road surface and, and the, the tyres you've got under you or the type of bike you're on just isn't really appropriate, that's going to really negatively impact your experience. And again, 
you know, you're not going to be as confident and you're, you're probably less likely to get back on the bike. So, so they're the, the broad things you need to be thinking about. And it's not as simple as just jumping on any old bike that someone wants to sell you. Vandy, who's in studio with me, I mean, Vandy, you'd, um, I assume, have multiple bikes that you've got for whatever the occasion actually arises. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of that old saying, horses for yeah. courses, and mm. I have one bike for every discipline. I guess <laughs> the um, the main thing is starting off small and building up. Don't try and go on a 200-kilometre bike ride after you buy your bike because you'll, A, have a sore bum, and then, B, you'll never want to touch the bike again. So my big mm. advice is just start off small, like go for a ride around your local area and just get a feel for riding again, and then you can build up as you've uh, done a few more rides. But, but Peter, just on Vandy's point, that can be tough too. I mean, do you have to commit to having a bike in certain areas to actually make that start? You know, you're asking someone to go in, lay down what can be, you know, for some people a considerable amount of money in the hope that they'll keep it going. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's a really good point. I mean, someone like Vandy or, or myself who've been riding for a long time, mm. we've, it, we, we've had that luxury of, of being able to, to choose the horse for the course. Um, I think if you're, you're, you're keen and you want to try it out, uh, there are some things you can do. And, and Vandy's absolutely right. The last thing I'd be recommending is going into a bike shop and, and, and blowing, you know, well above $1,000 for something that you may never want to use again. <laughs> the good news is, I mean, there are a lot of bike shops um, that will let you test something out. There are also a ton of bike clubs around the country and bicycle user groups or bugs um, that will be filled with people who will fall over themselves to, to help you and, and, down to the point of possibly even lending you a bike, you know, for a ride or two um, so you can get a feel for for what works for you and what doesn't. Um, so you're not, right. you may not have to spend anything um, for that initial phase. And, and then in due course, you'll think, oh, yeah, that felt great. I want to do more of that or no, nah, that's not for me. I might need something different. And, and you haven't spent much or, or even anything. So that would be the, the recommendation I would make. Um, Peter, Peter, that feels like a very grassroots movement that's just kind of sprung up from people who are really keen to, to push people onto pushies. Yeah, there's a huge cycling community in Australia um, and, and it's getting bigger all the time. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a member of a, a club and, and Bandy would be a member of many, you know, a club and, and probably has been, you know, involved in others over the years and his, his pro career and, and now what he's doing. You know, we love helping people out. We love cycling. And um, whether you just want to ride to the shop or you want to commute to work or you want to get into racing or, or touring, um, you'll... If you you just need to know where to look, and 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 I think you know your local bike club's a great place to start. Peter, um, you can find them on Cycling's website. That's the national governing body. Um, oh. And bicycle user groups, affectionately known as Bugs, um, the um, Bicycle Network website lists them out. You know, for for Melbourne, Victoria, but also nationally. If you happen to be in another part of the country, and, and, and seriously, that's how I got into cycling 15 years ago. I I latched onto my local bicycle user group and um, never look back. Were you expecting it to take off for you the way it did? Were you just looking for a, for a way to get from A to B and it suddenly took over? Yeah, a, a little bit. I'd been working with a guy um, for a few years who was a, a really passionate road cyclist and he'd come in every Monday morning just telling me what an awesome weekend he'd had. And, and I, at that stage, was I think I was playing cricket and I, I didn't really have a lot of spare time. But as I got older, I, I'd sort of, the body sort of said, no more bowling for you. And I, I slowly gave away cricket and, and wanted to do something else. And... <laughs> And and then that seemed like, oh, well, I'll give it a go. I wanted to stay active. Um, and I found my local bike user group. They invited me along to a, a relatively short ride. I think it was only about 20 k's on a Saturday morning. I was on a completely inappropriate bike. I had a, a flat bar <laughs> hybrid bike 
with flat pedals and um, they were all a bit better than me. But no one made me feel bad. I knew I was over my head very quickly, but, but a few people in the group actually stayed with me, made sure I got around the, the circuit that we were doing okay. And, and at the end of it, they were, had so much advice. They were willing to, to give me so much of their time. One guy even um, helped me find a, a second-hand bike on eBay, I think it was, and, oh. and that became my first proper, I'll say proper, but my first serious bike. And, you know, you'd be amazed. A lot of, there's a lot of communities like this and a lot of different sort of uh, lifestyle pastimes out in this country where if you, you know where to ask, you won't have any shortage of people willing to help you out. And um, you certainly, you know, one thing, there's a mistake I think sometimes people make is, is there's so much information available online, it's very easy to become overwhelmed mm. and, and perhaps go down those rabbit holes. And, and often, you know, sometimes they're great and, and those forums are excellent, but sometimes, you know, they're maybe not quite what you need and you're better off getting that one-on-one help. Um, the other thing, of course, that people should do if they, they can and it's convenient is find your local bike shop. Um, Get in and have know, a these, chat. These are, yeah, these are real grassroots businesses. Most of them, not all of them, most of them are independently owned and, and even the ones that aren't, you know, you'll find really passionate, knowledgeable people there and, you know, hopefully they're not just going to instantly try and sell you something that they're trying to get off the stock. Off the floor. Or. Yeah, Peter, I really appreciate your time this morning. Peter's with uh, Bicycling Australia magazine. He's a senior journalist there. Um, very quickly, because this topic has come up a couple of times this morning, Paddy on the line, we've been talking a little bit about whether uh, people riding a bike need to form some kind of rego to make a financial contribution to the roads. What's your take on that, Paddy? Um. With regards to the fees side of things, you, you could structure it in such a way where, say, if it was an individual, it would be, say, $60 a year. If it was a family, it would be $100 a year. But not not purely for the revenue-raising aspect of it, but for the insurance side of things. Um, I mean, if someone's, say, up in the Warby, Warby Trail, uh, they come a cropper, I mean, it's a probably ten to $12,000 ambulance ride in a helicopter. Uh, if you if you're that badly injured, so I mean, like something like that would be uh, protected in under like a TAC structured situation. Yeah, Paddy, it's interesting because I do know that has come up a lot on the text line this morning, and I appreciate appreciate you getting in touch, Tom. Very quickly on the text line, saying, "Guys, I'm 80 and I'm still getting out on my road bike. It gives me great pleasure to hear about the success of rail trails. I was fortunate enough to be a member of the state committee representing racing cyclists during the time of the development of the first rail trail. So, Tom, I think we should be thanking you for that one, Vandy. Very quickly before I let you go, one thing you think would get more people on a bike in 2024? Um, Good weather is always helpful. Um, Riding in the rain isn't super fun. I think um, getting yourself a set of bike shorts with a bit of padding always helps. Um, I've been doing a Monday night social ride and uh, one person rocked up without bike shorts and it's not good. It's sort of the saddle does part of the job, but having a set of bike shorts, they're not super expensive. That can really save you for... uh, future rides. I learned that the hard way two weeks ago <laughs> going uh, 40 kilometres so thank you very much for that. Uh, check out Vandy and Deets on Trail Towns that's their SBS show you can catch up on SBS On Demand. Tomorrow how do we create better access and affordability to psychological services making sure that you can see a counsellor or a psychologist no matter where you live. That's tomorrow's conversation. I really look forward to your company. Thank you for today.